0: Hello friends, welcome to episode 891 of the Lotton Hawks podcast. I am your host Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday and today's episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th. You can preview it now exclusively at BlueNile.com. Today's show features part two of with Ben Ladner, as uh, we talked with Ben yesterday for quite some time about the Eastern Conference. He'll be coming up in a little bit to talk about the Hawks specifically. And we recorded that podcast, by the way, on Monday evening. So keep that in mind throughout the podcast. But there is some news to hit on here at the top of the show. And uh, most of it focuses on the Hawks opener, which as you're listening to this on Wednesday will be this evening, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. in Chicago. Yeah, a lot to get to here, but the injury report came out earlier on Tuesday evening, and there was one surprise. Um, the listings elsewhere, Kevin Herter is probable, Kim Rash is probable, no surprise for either one of those there. Brandon Goodwin adds the injury report for the first time. He is questionable with a, with a right elbow sprain, but the big one is that Clint Capella is listed as doubtful with, with left Achilles soreness by the Hawks. I will say at the top here, Capella was listed on the injury report for every single preseason game. Now he played in all of them, but this has apparently been lingering on some level. Uh, Lloyd Pierce talked quite a bit this week about Capella on two different occasions, and there was no real indication that he was not a hundred percent, or uh, at least you know injury wise. There's been some talk about Capella not being all the way up to speed in terms of his of his physicality. Um, you know, talk about him not playing in a year, all that stuff. But injury wise, this is the first that I have heard, or that anyone's heard publicly anyway, about Capella being downgraded. So. Doubtful does not mean out. The Hawks have listed the guys as doubtful in the past, and they've still played. In fact, it happened earlier in the preseason with Rajon Rondo, who was who was doubtful for the one game that he played in. But still, for the regular season opener, to have Capella listed as doubtful with the Achilles that's, that's cost him quite a bit of time recently, that's a little bit um, worrisome, is the way that I would put that. I wouldn't panic on it. Um, the Hawks, again, have been diligent with him the last several months. But you know you never want to see a downgrade there, and uh, we'll see what Pierce has to say before the game on Wednesday. Um, there's no more availability between now and Wednesday afternoon, so interesting to see what happens there. But click, 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 I'm assuming now anyway, the click Capella is likely not to play because doubtful means doubtful. Um, again, does not does not mean out, but means doubtful to me. Um, elsewhere, A Kong Wu is out. Um, Snell and Dunn, those were already expected, but Rajon Rondo is going to be out as well with the health and, health and safety protocols as the uh, listed reason for that. As a reminder, Rondo missed the last season game with um, a funeral that he had to attend, which I'm sure um, is probably a testing issue. Uh, both Sarah Spencer and Chris Kirshner reported that it was not COVID-related for him testing positive, but there's some fallout of that, so he will not be available in this game. No idea about, about his return either. At this juncture, so the Hawks will be shorthanded in this game. They're, they're going to be down at least four players. And while they do have 17 players available on the roster, including two ways, now you're down to 13, um, and then it could be 12 if Capella not unable to play. Now, everyone's been asking me in the last couple of hours since this news broke what they're going to do in the starting lineup. I do not have an answer for you. The Hawks will, not have, will definitely not announce that until Lloyd Pierce speaks on Wednesday at some point in time. There are a few options the Hawks could potentially use. On that front, they could they could go with Collins at center with Gallinari at the four. That's the most logical one in a lot of ways because Gallinari is a starting caliber player. If they want to leave Gallinari in his role off the bench, they could go with Solomon Hill. They could go with both um, Reddish and Hunter at the at the at the forward spots. So if they want to go a little bit smaller, they can go with Bruno Fernando as the starting center in a smaller role. So they have some options here, but without a, without a Kongbu as well, they are pretty short-handed in the front court. Um, Chicago on the bright side. It's not huge. Now they have good size, given that Laurie Martin is their four, but he's not the most physical guy in the world. Wendell Carter is a uh, a pretty strong guy, but he's not he's not this like seven like this seven foot two monster. He's more like six ten. He is bulky and strong. This is not uh, a night where they have to face someone like Jokic or Embiid that's going to really bludgeon them on the interior. So that that's a positive with regard to the matchup itself. But you know, coming into the day as I'm recording this, the Hawks were two point favorites in this game on the road, according to BitOnline.ag, AG, our sponsor on the podcast. And, um, yeah, that, that was kind of a surprise to me. Not a huge one and that I think the Hawks are better than the Bulls, but on the road, in the opener, after the way that they, they played the preseason, I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, Without Capella, the line, has, at least at this moment as I'm recording, has not moved, so the Hawks are still favored. That does surprise me, because I think if Capella does not play, it's a tough spot for the Hawks. Can they win? Absolutely they can. But... Um, Capella is a huge thing for this Hawks team, especially defensively. And if you're playing a lot of lineups with Collins at the five, Gallinari at the five, or Bruno, that's not great for your defense necessarily. So we'll see. I think I will uh, point out one more time that long term is a much, much bigger concern for Capella than short term. Him missing one game is not a huge problem. If this is going to be a long term issue, that is a problem. So we'll learn more about that. Pierce will be asked about that 100% on Wednesday to um, sort of explore that. And I'm sure he'll pass along whatever he's been told from the the training staff. But there was no real discussion of Capella being injured. There was some talk about him again this week in terms of him not quite being uh, where he previously was in terms of condition and explosiveness uh, but he did he did talk about his rebounding in a positive way uh, making impact was even with his limitations physically so far and his ability as a rim runner as a play finisher I'm looking at my notes now but he Pierce did say that they're trying to be mindful that he's not played a game in about a full year at this point in time but still no indication of the injury being the huge portion of that problem so we will see on that one I have no more answers for you at this point in time but the Hawks will be shorthanded in this game and not what you want to see if you're a Hawks fan and even the guys like Herder and Reddish and Goodwin being listed on the injury report is not ideal. This is a very long injury report. If you're looking at this right now, you know, there's eight guys listed on the injury report out of 17. That's not what you want. Uh, even if two of them are probable. So we'll see what, we'll see what they elect to do. I probably would just go with Gallinari if it was me. Um, My second best option would probably be going to Solomon Hill just for some stabilization defensively. I talked about that on on Monday's podcast with Glenn Willis in which Glenn and I talked about how much stable, uh, sort of stabilization that he's able to do defensively when he's he's on the court. And Solomon Hill is not going to be a great player for you necessarily, but they might go with that safety. And Pierce has been in the past – pretty uh, solid about keeping guys in their roles. If they want to have Gallinari get used to coming off the bench, they could elect to go with a different lineup in in this spot. So, we'll see there, but I think there's pretty much three or four different options. It's Bruno at the five and just plug him in. It's Solomon Hill, it's Gallinari, and then maybe a lineup where you go with both Reddish and Hunter at the three and the four and go really, really small in this game. So, we'll see what they do. They'll be tinkering regardless. That's always going to be the case, but uh, a very interesting matchup got more interesting in a challenging way for Atlanta. Um, matchup wise even before this I I just want to point out that the Bulls were the second worst offensive team in the league last year under Jim Boylan now they have a new coaching staff with Billy Donovan but this is still a team that's pretty much the same as it was talent wise last season they do have Zach Levine who's a big time scorer and they might want to go with Cam Reddish at some point to guard him because in the starting lineup you probably have to put Hunter on him I, I suppose you can't really hide Trey Young because they're playing against Kobe White, who's a pretty talented offensive player as well. That's a challenge in some respects. But um grand scheme-wise, I would say Chicago's not a difficult matchup necessarily for the Hawks' defense. Without Capella, that might be more difficult. But on paper, not the worst thing in the world there defensively, the Bulls were better last year than offensively, but they created turnovers at an absolutely obscene level. They played so aggressive. Chris Dunn was a big part of that, by the way. He's now on the Hawks and not playing in this game, but still, um, that that probably should come down in terms of the aggressiveness under Donovan, uh, more conservative. They, they probably have better talent defensively than offensively. They do have Otto Porter back. They have Patrick Williams, the rookie lottery pick, in the lineup as well. So the Bulls are not as good as the Hawks talent-wise, but if you, if you remove Capella, the playing field becomes a lot more level, in my view. So... Kind of a toss-up game, and that will be reflected in the uh, in the line at boundland.ag as well, so we'll see what happens. That's my final thing on that game, and of course we'll have the post-game podcast coming to you in this same space after the game on Wednesday. Um, before we get to Ben, a couple of comments that I wanted to make sort of as my final thoughts uh, individually on this season. Some on-the-record predictions. I know I've talked around a lot of these, but just uh, put, put, put them all in one place here um some bold predictions some less bold predictions etc um my two predictions on the player side are that I think Trey Young leads in assists, which I've said a couple times on this podcast, but I'll say it again now. And I think Danilo Gallinari might lead um, the Sixth Man of the Year candidacy. He may not win; I'm not quite as confident in that one, but he will be a top five candidate for me on that ballot pretty comfortably, unless he ends up starting too much or whatever happens. But um, those two guys are really in consideration there. I think Trey will be All NBA as well if he, if he can play at the level that he that he did last year and they win more games. Um, on the schedule front, I want to just say this. I said this after the schedule was was released, but. The first nine games of the schedule are pivotal in some ways. Now, I'm a big proponent of not, again, I say not overreacting to the start of any season because of the sample size issues, but the Hawks do need to win some games early on because of the schedule and the way it breaks down. The first nine games of the season, including Wednesday's opener against Chicago, are against teams that had losing records last year. Now, two of those games are against Brooklyn on the road, and Brooklyn is, of course, much, much better than that actually makes them look, but even if you take them off, seven of the first nine games, the Hawks, I think, are more talented than their opponents in those games. So... I know it's not great to have that pressure on you out of the gate if you're a team that has all these new additions, but if you're being honest and objective, the schedule becomes a lot more difficult at those first after those first nine games. So they got to bank some wins, you know, if they go four and five, not the end of the world. But if they if they start two and seven, alarm bells, that's for sure. So we'll see what happens there. Um, my final prediction on wins, I've said I said a couple a couple different places at this point in time. Um, we actually published a roundtable on Wednesday morning as you're listening to this as well with our final uh, predictions about win loss record. I am going to say 38-34 and for this Hawks team. That that will put them at number 7 in the East, ahead of Indiana. Um, That's pretty close to me. I think Indiana and the Hawks are kind of on the same level. Washington might sneak into that tier as well, but I think the Hawks are better than the Wizards. Um, Less confident about the Pacers, but I think the Hawks, I'm picking them 7th. 38 wins, and uh, that's above the consensus. The over-under lines about 35, 36, somewhere in there. So I'm a little bit higher than that. We'll see where they land, but um, I'm not scared off by the, pre- by the preseason necessarily. It was not fantastic overall, but um, we'll see what happens. If Capella misses time, I would I would love to amend that prediction, but if we assume he'll be around for most of the season, I feel good about 38 and 34. So that's my final thought on that. And we'll get into some more stuff here momentarily with Ben Ladner, who again joined us yesterday. Uh, just one final plug from the early uh, last couple of weeks, I should say, on the podcast. I was joined by Sarah Spencer of the AJC for a look ahead. I was joined by Josh Lloyd of Lockdown Fantasy Basketball for a great deep dive on that kind of front and player-for-player uh, player stuff, stats, etc. And then I was also joined by Ben Ladner, of course, on yesterday's podcast. Um, all kinds of, you know, and, and, and I already talked about it earlier in the podcast, but Glenn Willis joined me on Monday. Glenn is a fantastic uh, sort of deep dive. Analyst X's and O stuff. That was a fun conversation that people seemed to like. So lots of, lots of listening if you want to catch up on, on the podcast over the day on Wednesday. It's an 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time tip-off in Chicago, so a pretty late one. You have some time to subscribe to the podcast and also download and listen. So thank you for joining us. Uh, and honestly, we made it. After all of that craziness, the Hawks not played a, a game that matters in nine plus months. But thank you for all of you who have joined us throughout the journey from now until then. And uh, the games will now be rolling along. We'll be in sort of, sort of a groove on the podcast but thank you as always for joining me on the pod all right before we get to ben and the continuation of yesterday's conversation uh and by the way this one's a lot more about the hawks than the east so keep that in mind a word from our sponsors on today's podcast and the first of which is betonline.ag the nfl season is winding down and the playoff picture is becoming much more clear by the day And there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust for all of our handicapping needs on this podcast and that is betonline.ag you can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the fantastic opening week and Christmas Day slates in the world of the NBA, there's a jam-packed slate of college basketball games almost every day, and college football is still in the center of the sporting landscape with bowl games and, of course, the upcoming playoff that's on the way very, very soon. And from there, Week 16 of the NFL season is coming this week, and there are some fun matchups to handicap from Viking Saints to Colts Steelers, Rams Seahawks, and even Falcons Chiefs. Beyond that, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. They even have player props, live wagering, futures, and exotic offerings. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action with BetOnline.ag today. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I am joined now by Ben Ladner for part two of a two-part podcast. Ben and I talked yesterday about the Eastern Conference, and he is back today talking about the Hawks with me. Hello Ben, it is time for Hawks basketball cuz people listen to this on Wednesday and uh, it's game day for the Hawks.
1: It's that time of year. It's later than we're used to, but uh, it is good to have the NBA back and um, the Hawks I think are going to be one of the more interesting teams in the NBA even putting aside the the proximity that you and I have to them geographically and you know just the kind of the intimate knowledge we have of the team having covered them. I think just from a general NBA perspective, they're going to be really fascinating this year. I think there are a lot of unknowns. We've seen a lot of people be really high on them. A lot of people be a little lower on them. I think you and I probably fall somewhere maybe toward the high end, but still in the middle. But they're going to be an interesting team to try and project and definitely a fascinating one to actually watch out on the court this year.
0: Yeah, so we talked around the Hawks a little bit on yesterday's podcast, but we'll dive into them now. They'll be quite interesting, as I've been saying, you know, I'm not a famously not a homer in uh, in a lot of ways, but I think that I agree with you. And like, this is a very, very interesting basketball team as an objective observer, just to see all of the machinations that are happening. Um, Sort of the experiment, experimental nature of adding a bunch of older proven talent, uh, having a ton of depth, having guys who cross over and a real battle for minutes in some spots. So uh, a lot going on here and as well as having a, a superstar player in Troy Young. So. Yeah, a lot to get to. Um, before we get into like what's going to happen this this year, I haven't talked to you, at least in this form, since the uh, mania that was free agency. What did you make of what the Hawks did? Because they obviously spent a ton of money, they added some really good players, um, but it was not necessarily what everyone envisioned they were going to do. I think everyone did, they, they were going to spend on some level, but they spent a lot of money on some guys who were not necessarily on the radar.
1: Yeah, I think the Gallinari one especially kind of came out of nowhere. Bogdanovich, I always assumed that the Kings would just match on him, but Me too. the Hawks, the Hawks threw a pretty funky offer sheet that made it a pretty tough decision. You know, I think you could argue either way whether Sacramento made the right decision. Uh, but those two guys are both really good players, and I think for all you could say about how does Gallinari fit with John Collins, what does Bogdanovich's presence mean for guys like Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish? There is something to be said for just acquiring talent and winning basketball games. And I actually think that, you know, while the young guys won't play as much, having the leverage of their minutes increase, the importance, the significance of their time on the floor increase and and have that actually mean something, especially if this team makes the playoffs, that could actually be beneficial to their development as well. I mean, it's not just about playing 30 minutes a game. That's not the only way to develop a young player. It helps, but there are other ways to do it. And I think the Hawks are betting on these guys are going to get maybe fewer minutes, but the, the minutes are going to be more important. And they're going to get as much from that as they would have gotten from less important minutes on a worse team, even if they're playing a little bit more. So certainly there are some fit concerns. Uh, certainly there are some questions about what these moves mean for certain guys' futures. John Collins in particular, I'm sure will We'll talk about uh, his lack of an extension at some point. But like ultimately, this is just a team with a lot of talent and a lot of depth. I think it, it's in, in stark contrast to last year where they had like four NBA rotation caliber players on the team. <laughs> I think this team now goes like 10 or 11 deep with solid rotation players, not all solid starters, but guys that you trust to be in the rotation. And I think I think that's probably the biggest reason. We'll talk about this. We hit on it. On on yesterday's episode, but I think that's why I like them more than a a Washington or an Orlando, um, or you know, if you like Chicago or Cleveland or whoever. The reason I prefer Atlanta to those teams is because they have a bunch of guys that you trust. They have a lot of different lineup configurations they can go to. They have uh, just a lot of talent, a lot of good players who can create, who can shoot, a few guys who can defend, fewer than they have uh, who can score. But I think offensively, there's a lot to like about this team. And the new guys, Gallinari and Bogdanovich, are maybe the biggest reasons for that. I mean, Trey Young, we, we kind of knew what he was already, but his his offensive impact doesn't matter unless you have guys who can really capitalize on it. And Bogdanovich, Gallinari, as guys who can just space the floor, hit shots, create their own shots, in Bogdanovich's case, playmake for teammates and set up easy looks, having that to boost the offense, I think, makes this—it's just going to be a difficult team— to deal with from a defensive perspective, because there's so many different ways they can attack you, and they may only have one all-star level player, but I think their their two through seven or whatever is is really potent and really solid and really even kind of across the board. So I think the the additions of the offseason sort of solidify and tie together what I think is going to be a pretty potent offense, and then you know maybe a, a less potent defense, but um, you know, in the aggregate, I think a, a much improved and, and probably, you know, solid basketball team.
0: Yeah. They, like you said, they, they kind of this is a point that I made a ton and you, and you and I made on this podcast together several times last season. They were just so bad in certain spots that it was untenable. And they went from basically being maybe the least deep team in the entire league, the most shallow team. however you want to say that to maybe being one of the deepest teams in the league overnight? Um, and that doesn't mean that they're one of the best teams in the league, but they now have, like you said, they have 10, 11, maybe even 12 guys who can be NBA rotation players right now in a very reasonable way. So that's helpful in a lot of ways. Um, before we get into the team, you brought it up, so I have to ask you. I talked about Collins yesterday on the podcast, but what was your thought when you saw the extension did not happen um, on Monday evening?
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised. I mean, you I think you've said several times it has never made more financial sense to extend John Collins. I guess that was before the deadline happened, but um, yeah, I mean, listen, he's still going to be a restricted free agent. They can still match. I would expect them to match unless the price just gets totally out of hand, but it's not altogether surprising given that Collins has been on the record about thinking he's a max extension level player, thinking he's a a long-term starter, future all-star, all of that. Like he has, he has been vocal about the fact that he believes he is worth a lot to this franchise and I don't blame the Hawks for trying to get a team friendly deal. That's kind of the point of rookie extensions is that you, you get a team friendly contract so that you don't have to go into restricted free agency so that you can just go ahead and get it over with because you know, you, you have, you're getting a good player at a fair price. And so if the Hawks didn't feel that a max was fair, or if they just felt like we don't know if it's fair, we want to see this is going to be an important year. That would be the biggest thing for me is just, like they don't know how he necessarily fits on kind of this reconstructed team. There's a chance that he is the long-term power forward um, and, and a really important part of this team for the, for the next five years. But there's also a chance that maybe a a, signif- a, a slightly lower chance that he isn't. And so I think you want to see that play out on the court before you commit a, a four year extension to him. Um, so I, I don't I don't begrudge the Hawks or I understand them waiting till restricted free agency, trying to see how it goes and then you know they can always just match on on whatever offer sheet he gets or give him a deal of his own.
0: Yeah, and something I've said forever and people are talking to tar- me saying it, is what you just said there is that you want there's no reason if you are a team to do a rookie extension if it's not a value to the team. And and by, and by value I mean cheaper than what you think you're going to pay. Or, or what you should pay. Like, I think a lot of people think that it's basically about trying to find what the guy is worth. That's not really what it is, honestly, on the team side. It really should be you're getting a bargain on what you think he's worth because you are taking on the risk as the team a year early. And we, we've seen that a couple times in situations, both with the Hawks and elsewhere, where, yeah, if, if the Hawks gave John Collins, you know, let's say four years and $100 million, that's, that's a very round number, I think he's probably going to be worth that over four years. But if I am the team, I wouldn't give him that contract right now, a year in advance, because the team's taking on the risk. And with all the moving parts that they've now put in place, you want to get a team value to do it. And that's a deal that I thought John probably wouldn't take. And especially with what you said, like he said on the record a couple of times, he thought he was a max player or at least close to that. If that's your thought process, that that's, you know, 25, 30 million a year you're not going to turn around and take a deal for four years and 80 million. That's not, that's not what you're going to do there. I mean, there's some security involved, but the gap is always interesting to try to find out what it is. I haven't heard yet. At least as the time of this recording, what the offers potentially were on both sides. But if you're the team, you always want to get a value on the contract or you just don't do it. And you can match later. It's just kind of what it is. It's not, it's not, it's not fun. It's not like a, it's not like a pleasant process, but if you, if you take, take your fan hat off and put on the management side, and trying to manage a salary cap, the only reason to do that deal is if you think you're, gonna, you're actually going get to a, get a bargain, not, not, just a, not just an appropriate value.
1: Yeah, and I think the important thing to reiterate, too, is that this doesn't mean that the Hawks don't want to keep John Collins. It doesn't yes. mean that he's not going to be a part of the team. That could eventually be the outcome, and there's always that chance when you don't reach the extension. But this doesn't necessarily augur a departure for him. It doesn't mean that the Hawks are out on John Collins or anything. It just means they, didn't, they couldn't find a deal that they thought was team-friendly. And they're willing to take it into the off season.
0: Yep, that's basically what it is. All right, we can move on from that. I was, uh, we knew I was going to happen before we started recording, but alas, here we are. Okay, um, pivoting back to the team for this season. I guess the natural place to go to after that is, is the front court. So Collins, Gallinari, Capella is now in place and now playing and healthy, at least healthy ish. He's moving kind of slowly by his standards recently, but that's all happening. Plus a Kong Wu um, and even Bruno Fernando, old friend. In this front court, Um, we've seen in the preseason, I'm sure, Ben, you're not watching as much preseason basketball as you would have last year about this team, but uh, it's been some small ball without Capella on the floor because they have not had a Kong Wu, and Bruno's kind of been the fourth guy if they needed somebody. Um, How do you think this is all going to work in the front court? Because that's one of the big questions coming in, and you can't really answer too many of those questions in four games of the preseason, so we're all still kind of guessing, but what do you sort of envision the, the front court breaking down as here?
1: Well, I think there have to be situations where you play Gallinari at the five. Like, I just, at this point in his career, unless you do that, he just has no positional flexibility. So I think that's certainly on the table, it's in the cards. Uh, It's going to happen at some point in the right matchups. And I think there are matchups and nights where you can do that. Capella, um, I think, just from a kind of a basic competence standpoint, could really lift this team on the defensive end of the floor, you know, just protecting the rim at a passable level, being where he's supposed to be, rebounding the ball, you know, kind of these basic things that you expect a big man to do that the Hawks big men did not do last year. He's going to provide a lot of that. And so just having that that stability, that reliability in the front court is going to help. Um, and I think the other thing is is Collins is going to play a lot of 5-2. And so that kind of leaves Bruno as the odd man out. We'll see how much Akangwu plays. If this injury is going to persist, maybe this is just kind of a... a not a lost rookie year, but one where he doesn't really contribute because this team's going to be shooting for the playoffs. But, um, you know, having, having – I think what I would do at least um, is kind of use Collins as the backup five as, as often as I could. Now there are going to be times when it doesn't make sense to do that because of the matchup or whatever. But I would be trying to kind of work out the rotation so that Collins can spend kind of an equal amount of time with Capella and with Gallinari – as both a four and a five and, and mix and match the lineups that way using him as more of a pivot. Um, but then, you know, there's also questions about how much is Deandre Hunter going to play the four? Is Solomon Hill going to be involved again? It, you look at their roster and, and the depth really stands out here. Where like Solomon Hill would play on a lot of teams. Hawks legend, Solomon Hill, we should say
0: he might, he might play for the Hawks. I and mean, they, they seem to like Solomon Hill quite a bit. Yeah. He played the preseason. He was effective. Like, especially right now. In fact, this is kind of a weird parallel to draw, but I think Okonwu's minutes are going to go to Solomon Hill. Yeah. Like the minutes, and, and, the minutes, that, the minutes he, that he was supposed to get. And he's he's obviously going to play at some point. They're not going to just punt on Okonwu entirely. But right. in the early going when he's not ready to go, those minutes, instead of going to Bruno, I think gonna kind of go to Solomon Hill. Which, which might sound crazy, but when you factor in Collins and Gallinari, it makes more sense.
1: I think it does make sense. But that kind of leaves the question of like, are there enough minutes for Solomon Hill when everyone's healthy? Like when the guard rotation gets healthy, because Rondo and Chris Dunn barely played – are there enough minutes for Solomon Hill cuz you have to fit those guards in in the rotation can DeAndre Hunter play the 4 so there are some some things to to, to iron out i'm not going to say like issues or anything but just some some wrinkles to kind of figure out in the rotation who plays well with who all of that but i think this is a reliable front court i don't i don't see any weak like Jabari Parker Damian Jones last year guys who just really weren't giving you anything especially on defense I don't think this is that again, um, and certainly having that upgrade, taking that step forward um, could, make, should and could make a meaningful difference for this team.
0: Yeah, it's going to be huge, uh, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, all right, before I ask you some more questions about this uh, very interesting basketball team, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is BuiltGo. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, I can break through it right now with Built Go every single day. And Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink. Energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and it's natural. Built Go is easy to take. A One and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, or your pocket, get you through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five hour energy without the same feeling of a crash. Plus, it's natural and it's better for the body. As a result, and there are three delicious flavors to choose from in chocolate, mint, peanut butter, honey, and chocolate coconut, Built Go is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Listeners to the podcast will perhaps know that I have multiple jobs that I have to tend to on a regular basis, and sometimes I need a little bit extra to get through the day and the night, but Built Go is a fantastic solution to break through my own wall in order to try it for yourself. Visit BuiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, Ben. Uh, we'll be sort of simplified here and I will go to some standard season preview content and break it down by offense versus defense. So how good is this team broadly speaking, going to be on offense and you can go wherever you want, wherever you want to with that question.
1: So I think they're sort of in like the six to 12 range ish, maybe like high end would be like five, I could see them having a top five offense. I don't expect them to, but I am pretty high on this offense. Like I, right now i these are obviously not, um, not going to come exactly true, but as I'm mapping out each team in the league, I have, I have them pegged at seventh right now, which I think is a high end outcome. You know, that's, that's a little bit of a rosy outlook, but I think there are reasons to be optimistic about this offense because a, the roster just slants that way. Like everyone in their rotation with the exception of Hunter and Reddish, are kind of offensive guys, and maybe Capella too. And B, I mean, maybe more importantly, they have Trey Young, who is, I mean, my, my theory and, and kind of my assumption is that he is one of the, the best, you know, five, six, pick a number, best offensive catalysts in the NBA. And if he has competent shooting and complementary playmaking around him, can be the leader of a top five-ish offense. This year, we will find out if that theory is true. Um, again, I, I kind of believe in him as that level of player. Uh, but we, as we talked about on the Eastern Conference preview, we haven't really seen him do it yet. So if he is as good as he was last year in terms of creating open shots in the corners, layups, dunks, drop-down passes, creating his own shots, step-back threes, floaters, if he plays the exact same that he did last year, and the only difference is that the Hawks hit 36% of their threes instead of 33 and they have guys, excuse me, they have guys who can finish at the rim and and guys who can play make when Trey doesn't have the ball. like if that's the only thing you change and you keep his play the exact same, I think this is a really, really good offense. Not to mention that not only are you replacing bad shooters with with good shooters, like these are good shooters. Like Danilo Gallinari is not a league average shooter. No, Bogdan Bogdanovich right. is not a league a league average secondary creator. So it's not like you just brought in. Replacement level guys, you brought in really good players for the roles that they're going to be asked to play, and so that's another reason that I'm optimistic. Is like Danilo Gallinari is probably overqualified for the offensive role that he'll play in Atlanta. Bogdanovich, I think, is really well suited. I really like Kevin Herter and his ability to do that. I mean, you go up and down the roster, and there's just, like I said on the last on yesterday's episode, there are a lot of places that offense can come from on this team. Whereas last year there was really only one place, and when defenses shut it off, the Hawks had nothing. So the Hawks should be better when Trey Young doesn't have the ball. they should be better when he's on the bench. and if he's the player that he was last year, I think that's a formula for a really, really good offense,
0: yeah, and you know the offensive ranking and whatever they're, they're going to be able to produce on a per possession basis is very interesting to project because I you know on a talent basis, I am definitely about where you are. I think I've done a couple of those you know, visits with other podcasts when they ask me as the sort of the local person to talk about the offense, and they're surprised when I'm as high as I am on the offense, and then I kind of break it down for them and just say, look, if you look at the talent, there's no reason this is not a top 10 offense. Like, maybe even better than that. Top 8 offense, top 6 offense. However you want to say that. It's just the question of, until a team has done it together, people are going to be skeptical. And I totally understand that. I really do. Like, the Hawks, while they were much better on offense and defense last year, they were still not very good on offense. They were... Pretty solid when Trey played, and disastrous when he's off the court, but pretty solid when Trey plays. It's not going to be good enough this year, probably, to be as good as they want to be as a team and as an offense. So they have to make a jump, for sure. Um, Trey, doesn't, Trey doesn't have to make a jump. He could just be the same guy he was last year, and they'll be just fine. But the talent around him, I totally agree with you. It's just... I mean, we could talk about the ranges on both ends of the floor, and we will about his, about the defense as well. But I think for the for the Hawks to do what what fans want them to do, what they want to do, they need to be a top ten offense. That's not really up for debate. If they're a league average offense, this is not going to be a very good basketball team. Like they'll be competitive still. They'll be much better than they were last year, but for them to be in contention for a top six, seven, eight seed in the Eastern Conference, they have to be above average on offense. I think that's kind of obvious. But it's worth saying, like, they need to make the jump. Like, it's, we can't just, I mean, I'm assuming that they're, that they're going to. I sound like you are as well, but they have to actually do it because this is still an offense first team.
1: Yeah. And the one thing that kind of gives me pause is they were 26th yeah. in offense last year. And I know, completely different team, but just the raw leap of going from 26th to. And that's, that's what I was trying to say. You know?
0: Like, I mean, with, with Trey on the court, they were like, you know, 1.11 or so per possession. They, they, they were about league average with Trey on the court last year, offensively. Which is fine, but they got to be better than that with Trey on the court. And obviously, I think, you know, it goes without saying that they'll be better with him off the court, just because they won't have the terrible yeah. lineups. But both have to improve. It's not it's not just the improvement of non-Trey lineups, Trey, lineups that have Trey in them have to get better too. And I think they will because of the talent upgrade. It's not necessarily going to be about Trey, but it's both. It's not just one or the other. Like the the the, the low hanging fruit is definitely there, but they have to have more than that.
1: I agree. And I'll also say that I'm not a huge Rajon Rondo guy, but... Uh, I'm not either. That's okay. I do think that there's enough secondary playmaking with Bogdanovich, Herter, some, D- Gallinari, other guys on that second unit to kind of outweigh whatever, you know, however detrimental Rondo is going to be. Maybe he won't be detrimental. Say, I, I expect that I he think,
0: will be. I think on offense, Rondo as a backup point guard is totally fine. I yeah, really
1: especially do. compared to last year. And that's that's kind of the other thing I was going to get at is like, the Hawks would have killed to have Rajon Rondo oh, as their yeah. backup point guard last year. Oh, yes. Even if he's a below-average backup point guard, he's still miles better than whatever Atlanta was working with last year. So, again, I think when you kind of look at it that way, it's like, well, yeah, maybe he's not such a bad option. Uh, at least not as bad as he would seem kind of in a vacuum given where he is in his career, the way he plays, which you, you know you and I are not huge fans of. But on this team, like there is certainly a place for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've all talked about all those aspects, but sometimes it's just important to flesh out, like, they have to capitalize on the talent. I think you and I are on the high end, from what I've heard nationally anyway, about the about the talent on this roster, but if you just go through it position by position, Trey Young, obviously exceptional. Uh, Bogdanovich is an above-average offensive player. Um, you know, the three, we'll see, but I think between Hunter and Reddish and whatever else they get, they'll have enough. Gallinari, like you said, is overqualified for his role. Collins is obviously above-average offensively. I think mean, Capella is average or better on offense. Quite frankly, at center, I mean, he's not an incredible offensive player, but he's a good finisher. He knows where to be. Like they have six or seven plus, you know, the bench. Kevin Herter's a good offensive player. Like they have six or seven guys who are legitimate pluses on offense on this roster, which again is night and day from last year. It's uh, I know we're, we're sort of a broken record, but it's really true.
1: Yeah, and that, that's maybe the biggest thing I think. this the the Hawks skeptics who have fair arguments, but yeah. I think one of the things that that gets missed sometimes is just how bad this team was last year, especially in the front court. Um, On both ends of the floor, I think just going from bad to competent, and in some cases quite good, is going to make a pretty significant difference. The other thing I would say, too, is I expect Hunter and Reddish, and I guess Dunn too, Chris Dunn, to be the three guys in the rotation who aren't good offensive players, but I think all three of them bring enough defensively that you don't really worry as much. It's not like you're putting complete liabilities out there. Um, so that, that's the one thing I would note is like Hunter and Reddish are not good offensive players at this point in their career or probably will not be this year, but they're, they're doing enough on the other end to still help you. And it's not like they're just completely dead weight, whereas last year there were a lot of guys who just didn't do anything on either end of the floor, and that led to the Hawks being bad on both ends of the floor.
0: Yeah, and even, you know, I think Dunn, you can probably assume is going to be below average or worse than that offensively. There's a there's a world in which Reddish and Or Hunter are neutrally better on offense. Like you can't project that necessarily in year 2, but those guys have enough flashes and enough talent where they they can do things on offense. I think Dunn yeah. is Dunn's the only guy on the in the rotation projected that we know is not a good offensive player, and he's so good on defense that it's worth it. Like he's he's the kind of guy who is like legitimately elite Defensively, at what he does.
1: So I hope he plays this year. Me too. <laughs> I don't know where the minutes are going to come from, but I hope he plays.
0: <laughs> me too. It, it would be uh, fun to watch. He's not quite healthy yet. Hopefully, he'll be, hopefully he'll get healthy in the near future. Um, all right, we'll do the same thing on, on defense now. Before I let you get out of here, um broadly speaking, again, you gave me your projection on offense. Defensively, it won't be as good. I, I'm very confident, but where do you have them defensively? Is it going to be as bad as some people think, think that it will be?
1: I don't. I mean, it depends what you mean by some people, but I would say no. I don't think they're going to be—they I mean, they could be bottom five, but I would not expect them to be bottom five at this point. Part of that is just because I think there's going to be some really bad defenses in the league, so it's kind of damning with faint praise. But again, they were so—their front court was so bad on defense last year. I, I, I tell people that sometimes you know, when I'm talking about the Hawks, they started Damian Jones and Jabari Parker together in the front court last year. For, for many games. I mean,
0: is, it's really funny because I know you and I talked about this on this podcast and offline, and it's not a sexy thing to discuss, but I always lead with how bad, at least in the last you know, six months, I've been doing interviews with other publications that are national that don't know the Hawks as well as you and I would. That's what I lead with, is just how bad a lot of these spots were last year. And that's a great example, maybe maybe the biggest example, but the numbers when Damian Jones was on the court, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to pile on Damian, but the numbers when he was on the court were re- legitimately, like, breathtaking on both yeah. ends of the floor. Like, their defense was as bad as the defense could possibly be when he was on
1: the court. <laughs> and- he, was, he was the inverse Trey Young of defense, in the sense that the effect Trey had on the offense, Damian Jones had the opposite effect on the defense.
0: I mean, it's just really breathtaking, though, because, not to go on, the, on this whole diatribe that I've done before, but if you ask me the biggest individual reason why the hawks were bad defensively last season i think a lot of people i would say 95 percent of people in the world would say trey young and the answer was damian jones and it's not even close for me like damian jones was more harmful defensively than trey young was last season and and and, in half the minutes or less
1: yes i agree with that and again they were starting arguably the worst defensive center in the nba arguably the worst defensive power forward in the nba not, by, by the way, worst. not
0: Collins, by the way. That's that's Jabari, not Collins. That's Jabari. That's Jabari Parker. <laughs> Just want to be clear uh, so people don't yell at you that you were not yes. talking
1: about Collins. Arguably the worst defensive point guard in the NBA, in addition to, like, two rookies on the wing and an injured Kevin Herter. I mean, it was—I'm surprised they weren't worse on defense last year, to be honest. Like, th- they should have been in that. that—like, they should have been worse than Washington, and they, they were almost as bad as Washington, but— they were really bad. And, and um, I think just having Capella, having John Collins for a full season, who I think is like an average defender-ish, having uh, Reddish and, and Hunter take steps forward, even marginal ones, is going to help them on the wing. A more engaged Trey Young, even just a little bit, now that he's playing for a better team, I think is going to help them. So again, it's just the idea that going from worst in the league to competent, It's not like we're saying they're going to be a top-half defense or the Milwaukee Bucks or anything like that. But going from terrible to competent can make a huge difference in the NBA, especially because a lot of teams are going to have terrible defensive pieces. So I think there's a a decent swath of teams that the Hawks can leapfrog just by virtue of having competent players, whereas these others are kind of like I look at Cleveland, Minnesota, Charlotte, who just don't have good defensive players. The Hawks have a handful of of good defensive players, including at the most important defensive position. And so just the net increase from where they were last year to where they should be this year, again, not they're not going to be elite defensively. They're not even going to be good defensively, but they will be improved. And I could see them getting to like 21st, 20th as a ceiling, maybe even like high teens. I would project maybe closer to like 23rd. Um, but I am not as low on this defense as as maybe people who are kind of baking in who are who are using last year as an anchor to project this season I am not as low as those people in the defense
0: yeah and I think that's all very very well said quite frankly I one of my tenets of this offseason so far and in going into the season about the Hawks defense is that they probably won't be very good defensively but people are underrating and you're not but people are underrating the difference, difference between what they had last year and what they have now and capella especially he's the biggest reason is capella like going from what they had last year to league average or better defensive center play is a just a on sort of indescribable jump and then I personally think that you could bank on internal development as well like I think it's pretty safe to assume that Hunter and reddish will be better defenders in year two than year one that's just kind of what happens and those, the, and, and those guys are defensive minded guys in the first place but they'll be better. I think Kevin Herter will probably be a little bit better in year three than he was in year two, maybe not a ton, but a little. I think Troy Young will probably be a little bit better defensively on a team that's trying to make the playoffs. The effort, the effort level will probably be a little bit better, and especially when his usage rate is a little bit lower than it was last year on offense. We've seen him flash it for a half or two. I think he'll be better. I'm not saying he'll be good, but he'll be better. I think John Collins, same thing. If he can replicate, replicate what he what he did last year, um, you know, Gallo pretty n- not great. That's a, that's a problem, um, but he's a good he's a good communicator. He's got good size. But Dynamic is fine. They, they really just they're better at essentially every single defensive position, when you factor in internal development and or guys they brought in than they were last year. Because even Gallinari is better than Jabari Parker, like significantly. So really, if you go through and I've done this spot by spot, they are better everywhere defensively than they were. And that's a, on the entire two deep essentially. Like maybe you could argue that like Rondo versus Brandon Goodwin, like Goodwin's better than Rondo defensively at this point when Rondo's not playing when Rondo's not paying attention in the, in the regular season. But you have Chris Dunn, you have all the guys that are a year older. You have um, Solomon Hill, who's better than Vince Carter in that same kind of role. Like they they're better they're better they're better basically everywhere. So that matters. Like how much it matters, we'll see. And I'm not predict- I'm not saying they're, that they're going to be average, but I've seen them projected as like the worst worst defense in the league and I I don't see I don't see that. I think they're gonna be not good, but not 30th, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and Collins is the interesting one because I thought he made real strides last year as a rim protector and as a help defender. And he's gonna be in his what fourth season this year. Like that's still when guys are improving. He could still take important steps forward as a defender this season, especially if the Hawks are planning on using him as as a backup center in, in a lot of different lineups. I mean, if he, if he takes a step forward and again, I think he's already like as a power forward, he's probably average as a center. He's, he's below average, but if he can get to an average center defender, you know, just be where he's supposed to be, make ver- verticality plays at the rim, be active, you know, coming up to the level of the ball, maybe forcing a few turnovers, getting out on the floor, whatever it is, just do the things that he's being asked to do at, um, at a reliable rate and at like a, a an average level i mean that could make an important difference too because now your second unit defense is better than it was last year you know now or i guess the hawks second unit defense might have been better than their starting defense last year but you get the point that now your second unit defense doesn't <laughs> fall off as much as it would if you're going from clint capella to you know okongwu I mean, they, they know, have they rookie. have
0: two-way lineups now that's the thing like yeah they could not and we i know you wrote about this as well as i did last year They really didn't have any lineups that were even passable on both ends of the floor. They they could build a team last year that was decent on defense, but it didn't include anyone that could create their offense. And this time around, with a couple of exceptions potentially, they're going to have a unit on the court that is at least passable on both ends. They could go offense only at times and really lean into it with like Trey at the one and Gallinari at the five and be be pretty bad on, on defense if they wanted to be. But that, that also might be so good on offense, it doesn't matter. Like, if they wanted to go, like, Young, Bogdanovich, Herter, Collins, and Gallinari, they'll never stop anybody, but they'll be an incredible on offense, so it won't matter. Um, it's just interesting to me. Like, they, 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 they have the bones of a team that doesn't have to be terrible on either end with any lineup. And that's not a small thing to me.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of the thing that doomed Washington last year. They had a really good offense. But in order to have a good offense, they had to play players who were awful on defense. So the value of having not even just two-way guys, but just two-way lineups, like you said, you don't have to have a bunch of Kawhi Leonard's out there, but just guys who are either going to be passable on defense and good on offense or vice versa, and and gives you some integrity on both ends of the floor in the aggregate, Like that's that's really an important thing to have, especially when you have a catalyst like Trey Young. Who, who can sort of compensate if you have a weak leak offensively. He can make up for that because of his own individual prowess. And the other thing I would say is that you mentioned kind of the, the offense-heavy Gallinari at center lineups or, or Collins at center, whatever you want to consider it. It's better to be terrible on defense for eight minutes a game than to be terrible on defense for 48 minutes a game. So, like, yes. again, that, that's an area where it just um, – by comparison, it really doesn't seem quite so bad.
0: No, that's uh that's very well said. Okay, moment of truth, Ben. I've kept you way too long in this two part podcast. Uh, I have to ask you now what your projection is for this team. Um, I have gone on the record before I brought you in with mine, and I picked. Just so you know, I picked the Hawks to finish seventh. My bold, slightly bold prediction that they'll be ahead of the Pacers. Although that's very clear, that's very very close to me. I had them 7th and 38 and 34. That's where I am on this Hawks team, which is higher than the national consensus, even though I'm sure I'll be yelled at for being too low on the Hawks. That's where I am right now. Where are you on this Hawks team?
1: So I have them at 42 wins for an 82-game season, which translates... You
0: scared scared me there. I was like, wow, (laughs) Ben.
1: I tried to leave a slight pause between uh, the 82-game season. No, that translates to about 37 for a a 72-game season. That's tied with Indiana just by happenstance it's tied with Indiana for for seventh slash eighth in the east I I think that the Hawks are more talented than the Pacers I think there are a lot of scenarios in which the Hawks are better than the Pacers but as I said on the last episode I think that I just trust the Pacers a little bit more and the downside risk for Atlanta even if I don't necessarily think it's likely it's still there I can still see it And so there are situations where things kind of go sideways and it doesn't work out for whatever reason. Whereas with Indiana, I think they're just a little more solid. So I have them, I'm sort of, I I believe in them for different reasons, I guess is what I'd say. So I have them in that 7-8 kind of mix. I think the best case scenario is that they get to 6th and someone, I don't know who, but someone either has an injury or has a disappointing season, whatever it is, one of those top six teams disappoints and underperforms expectations i think the hawks are probably the most likely team to sneak into that mix if someone falls out of it because i think their upside is higher than in indiana or washington or orlando uh, if you like them but again I, I think that's that would require like a heavily heavily optimistic outlook which i am not, not taking i think their 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 most likely outcome is not nearly that high and then the floor is probably I don't know 27 wins if things go bad, you know, if let's say, you know, we'll say the the dunked on disclaimer that Trey Young isn't tearing his ACL yeah. on the first <laughs> yeah. night. Like realistic worst-case scenario probably 27 28 wins, um miss the playoffs, Lloyd Pierce gets fired, Travis Schlenk gets fired at the end of the season, you know, all of the all of the overhaul you can have uh realistically. But I would put them in that 7-8 mix in the East. I think they're solidly better than Washington and Orlando, even if I have them kind of in the same tier. And I would probably handicap them to to make the playoffs right now, but the play-in tournament always kind of throws a wrench into things.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're pretty close. I I, uh, I think when I was on with Nate actually doing the Hawks preview, I went back and forth between 37 and 38 wins. I landed on 38. I think that's reasonable, obviously, because that's my projection. But um, your range is about right as well. I'll be surprised. Barring big injuries, if the Hawks do not make the play-in, um, even on the downside, and on the high side, yeah, I mean, I I have a hard time, as we said yesterday, telling you who it's going to be. But you know, the smart money is probably that one of the top six teams in the East does not perform up to expectations. And if the Hawks hit their high end outcome and win, you know, go forty and thirty-two, that could be good enough for the five series to succeed. That that wouldn't like blow me away. I, I think projecting that is a little bit uh, rosy for me. But I do think that they're going to be a good team. I think their talent's being underrated right now nationally. Um, I've been on the record, Ben, in saying that I think the Hawks have five top 80 players in the league on their roster.
1: Hmm. So Bogdanovich, Collins, obviously Trey, Gallinari. Gallinari and Capella. Capella. Yeah, I don't necessarily. I would, Capella, I might. Yeah, I mean, I would have the, to map it obviously, out. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I
0: used to say like conservatively five top 100 players, and I feel really, really strongly about that. Um, going to top 80 is a little bit, a little bit more aggressive, but you know, if, if you were to, if you were to say five top hundred players, not that many teams have that many players that are that good. And then the Hawks don't just like fall off after that. They have guys who can play beyond that. That that, that does not include any of the young wings. For instance, that does not include Chris Dunn. Uh, if you're a runner believer, et cetera, like they, it's not like they have five guys and nobody else. They have five guys who I think are top 100 guys conservatively, and then they have some real rotation guys. So talent-wise, I think they are pretty darn impressive. And if this team had a previous baseline together, I'm pretty sure the national consensus would be higher on them. I think there's a lot of justified skepticism on some level that this team's not been playing together so far, but I think just overall the roster is not being treated properly in some ways. I think this team is probably more talented that people believe that it is. It's just where that, I, I mean, the, the question is how it clicks, which is, that's definitely a question. I'm not saying otherwise because the fit, how they all perform together, where the pieces go together is up for debate. Until you see it, I understand being skeptical, but I think the talent is good.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting sort of cognitive bias you bring up of having not seen it. So, like, there's no sample to work off of. So people kind of assume that it's closer. To last year's baseline when really it's a different
0: well and you said you team. said it earlier like it's hard to get from 20 and 47 to where they are projected now like it's not yeah that's not honestly that makes a lot of sense to me in my brain and if I wasn't watching this team as closely as I am I'd get why that would happen like you have to understand how hard it is under normal circumstances to go from 20 and 47 to 38 and 34 that's a huge jump the, pro- the problem is the Hawks, well, the problem, is, the problem is the wrong word, but the, the thing about this is the, the Hawks added so much talent. The Hawks added Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Capella without losing anybody. They added three guys who are like starting like good players without losing anyone. And that's not a situation that usually happens in the NBA. Normally it's like a guy a guy here, a guy there. The Hawks added essentially three starters, like good, high paid starters in one offseason without, without losing anyone of real value to them. That's not usual, that's not a typical situation.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'll put you on the spot real quick um, since since you did it to me a little bit. Have to. How many teams are definitely better? Or how many feel, teams do you feel reasonably certain will be better offensively than Atlanta this year? So let's say the Hawks reach their, reasonably their ceiling certain. offensively. Okay. How many teams will be better? If they reach their ceiling? Ooh, that's Or even... maybe not see. Let's say the Hawks reach like a 75th percentile. How many? How many teams do you look at and say, okay, they're – almost certainly going to finish higher. Yeah, offense.
0: I'm pulling up the, the names of teams. Cause that always is the way to, to get messed up is to not know who's uh, not, 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 who, right. not know who the teams are. Um, I will start off by saying, um, Brooklyn.
1: Yep. Uh,
0: the Clippers. Cause they were number two in offense last year. Yeah. Uh, they were very good. Um, Dallas had the best offense of all time last year. So yeah, you have to say Dallas. Um, I know Hawks fans hate Dallas, but they were ridiculous on offense last year. Um,
1: Why would Hawks fans hate Dallas?
0: Uh, That's a good good question. Um, I don't know. Uh, Is James Harden on the Rockets? See, that's the thing I can't figure
1: out. Okay, we'll leave them off for
0: now. Honestly, uh, I would
1: say even if he is on the Rockets, I don't think the Rockets are a lock to...
0: Yeah, I mean, they were, what, six? They were six last year in offense?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be likely. I would pick the Rockets to have a better offense, but I don't think it would be a lock.
0: I think the list of the teams that are 100... Maybe not 100%. That I'm 95% confident are better than the Hawks on offense. It might just be Mavs, Clippers, and uh Brooklyn. That might be it. I mean, there are teams that yeah. I'd pick that there are teams that I would pick ahead of the Hawks. Like Portland finished third last year in offense. I believe in their offense. Damus I would I would ahead. actually
1: lock Portland in. Yeah, Davis is, I Dame is definitely proven. Definitely
0: I, I think that um yeah, they they're probably uh on that level.
1: But Denver is the other one that I would. Yeah. Denver.
0: I'm a little bit, I mean, they're going to be good on offense. No question, but they've never done like the full season. We're going to just eat you alive. Offensively routine. They usually kind of wax and wane a little bit, but I'm with you. I pick them ahead of them as well. Um, I probably pick. That might, that might be, uh, I probably Utah. Yeah. Maybe Phoenix too, with Chris Paul, If Chris Paul's alive the whole season. But yeah, there's somewhere in that, I, mean, I think you said their, your range earlier. I, I, I'm going to project the Hawks in like the 8 to 10 range offensively.
1: Well, wow, so I, I'm even higher than that. I have them like 6 to 10.
0: Yeah, and they, they, could, they could get to 6. Yeah. I'm just trying to, I mean, look at, look at the teams that we're talking about now. We just named 6 or 7 teams that right. I think I'm going to project ahead of them. And then there are others that are obviously capable of being better than the Hawks, like Houston, like Miami. Uh, Milwaukee was 8th last year. Utah was ninth last year. Those teams are kind of the same as they were. Uh, the Lakers finished tied for 10th and might be better on, on offense this year with Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell. So, and Phoenix finished 12th, and they have Chris Paul now. So those teams are all capable of being better than the Hawks offensively. It's just that... I mean, I, I'd rather have the Hawks than the Raptors on offense, the Spurs. Those teams were top 12-13 last year. I don't know. It's going to be a good offensive team. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that.
1: I agree, and and really, I mean, the biggest takeaway I had just from mapping out kind of and projecting the whole league is they're going to be a lot of really good offenses this year. Like the Lakers and the Bucks might not be top ten offenses. Miami might yeah. not be a top ten offense this year. I mean, Washington might not be a top ten offense. It's it's
0: yeah, really I mean,
1: a stacked league right now. The Lakers were
0: eleventh in offense last year and won the top. Yeah.
1: And they have LeBron James. It's crazy. To they think have that... they have
0: LeBron James, and Anthony Davis to finish eleventh in offense last year. Now, granted. That was part of that was the bubble. They were a disaster in the bubble in the regular season uh, when they were right. just were not caring at all. But if you look at the final regular season standings on NBA.com in offensive efficiency, the Bucks were eighth, the Lakers were eleventh, <laughs> the Raptors were thirteenth, Philly was fourteenth. Those were two. Those were four of the top you know nine in the league overall. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see how I mean. And and then defensively, you know, um, I put you on the spot. They'll be. I'm picking the Hawks to finish like twenty first, twenty second defensively, something like that. Like not good, have, but not. I have good. a twenty second. Yeah, something like that. And if they yeah. go, if they go eighth and twenty first, twenty second, that's a team that's going to win thirty eight games a lot of the time. Like offenses, offenses, uh you know, they're a little bit. They'll be a little bit over five hundred with that projection. I mean, their best case scenario to to steal the dunked on model. I'll ask you, what is their best case scenario on both ends of the floor?
1: Offense, Best defense. case on offense is probably like fifth. Yep. That makes Best sense. case on defense, I would say like 18th. And if they do
0: that, that's a team that probably wins in a 82 game season. Probably goes like 48 and 34, 49 and 33.
1: Yeah, s- roughly. something like that. Um, now the worst case on defense is probably pretty low.
0: It's probably like so, thir- 28th, 28th, yeah. or something like that. Because I mean, yeah. last year just for some perspective, Cleveland and Washington were like historically bad. Those teams were battling all season long for 29 and 30. Um, and they were really, really, really terrible, but the Hawks were 28th. (laughs) So I think, and again, we, we talked about their, their, their team being better defensively, but I think the downside, there's not many teams that, that could be worse. If the bottom falls out defensively than the Hawks. I mean, I think Washington is one where I would have to pick the Hawks to be better than them defensively. Um, Brooklyn is pretty bad. The Knicks, uh, I don't know who else. Charlotte, maybe. Cleveland again. Yeah, I'm not uh, high on Charlotte's defense. Cle- Cleveland again, given Cleveland that they're gonna again. be playing that playing that backcourt and Kevin Love. Uh, yeah, I mean they'll be better with Drummond and Okoro this season, but better compared to where they were last year is not a huge bar to clear. So.
1: Anyway, no, you and I are in the same uh, same ballpark. I'm not Atlanta. shocked by that, Ben. You and I noted fox homers. Yeah, we,
0: you and I think it's it's funny. Uh, we're going to be posting on Wednesday morning our Peachtree Hoops win loss projections, uh, sort of a roundtable for all of our writers, and every single one of them went over the Vegas over under. Mm. And I guarantee you, we'll be we'll will we'll, we'll be called haters, and after that after that post goes up.
1: Oh, no question last year that's, that's last the year of the beast.
0: last year we all projected the lowest projection on our on our site last year was 29 to 53 <laughs> and we were called haters for weeks after it dropped and we were all too high
1: so well listen you are what you are you know
0: yeah it's just the way that the way things go in this life ben
1: you hate you get called a hater <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is it's very well said uh, well thank you for joining joining me on this two part extravaganza Ben, I've taken more time than I was supposed to from you so hopefully I didn't mess up your night um, please plug what you have I know you were talked about in on part one but say it again for, for the people so they can follow you and all that you, all that you have going on in this world
1: yeah well first of all thanks for having me, always a pleasure to talk hoops with you and be on the show um, I host an NBA podcast called Read and React which you can find anywhere you get podcasts um, so if you want to Dive into that. You you are more than welcome to. We usually publish like two three times a week, whenever we can. Probably more with the season starting up, and then still doing a little bit of writing at the step back. You can find most of that on my Twitter page, and I don't have any other social media accounts unless you want to find me on LinkedIn.
0: I might do that at the end of this podcast. <laughs> I'm a big LinkedIn guy. I'm
1: almost to 500 connections, so nice. You know, I, could, I could maybe clear a major hurdle here.
0: I need to use LinkedIn more uh, in my non sports life, but alas. Thank you, Ben, for joining me. Please follow Ben's work. I recommend it at the highest level, and I will beg you to come on at some point, probably a little bit less than last year when you were covering the team, and I could just call you in whenever I wanted to. But thank you for your uh, for your service, my friend.
1: Absolutely, anytime. That's
0: for everybody else. Please subscribe, and we'll see you next time. And the next time will be after the regular season opener on Wednesday. We'll be here in this same spot with a recap talking about all that's going to transpire in the game against the Bulls on Wednesday. So we'll see you after the game.